So when you go on a road trip, what do you see? But signs, signs all along the road. You see, you see road signs that tell you that you have to come to a stop. Now, if you're from Kentucky as I am, the stop means slowly tap on pedal. Or if you're from Georgia, if it has a white line around the sign, it's optional, completely optional. But there are stop signs. And, and sure enough, if you, if you sit at one and watch one long enough, you will see someone who slowly taps on pedal. They're from Kentucky. Or drives right on through it, meaning that they're from Georgia, right? There are other road signs. You can, you can take a detour sign. Why would you have to take a detour sign? Because of road work, things that are being done on the road, or maybe there was an accident and you have to take a detour to go around and you have to take an alternate route to get to where you're going. There are, yes, this is true, there are speed limit signs that have a number on them that corresponds to a gauge that is on your dashboard. Wow, who would have thunk of that, that there was a corresponding relationship between the two? But there are. There are signs that tell you that there may be children at play. So a little caution, right? Or a curve ahead, which means don't speed up, but to take the gas, you know, pedal off the gas pedal, you know, foot off the gas pedal so you can go around the curve. There are some from rural Georgia that still don't get that. You may find a sign stating that you're on a one-way street. And if you find yourself accidentally turning onto that one-way street, you might find a red sign that says, wrong way. Don't, if you ever see a wrong way sign, stop, stop, don't keep going. On the interstate, there are road signs that tell you how many miles until the next city or the next off-ramp there are signs that tell you what gas stations are there. There are signs that tell you what restaurants are at that next exit too. There are signs everywhere. Whether you obey them or not, there are signs on the road that as drivers we are to follow. There's even one that I learned that said, no turn on red. I won't tell you what the resulting action was, but okay. And, you know, the cop had the nerve to say, well, you stopped at the light, so you knew the sign was there. I said, I stopped at the light because it was red, and I was looking to see if there's anyone coming. Of course I stopped at the light. Where do you think I am, from Kentucky? <laughs> so beginning today and for the rest of June, we're going to take a look at some road signs. Road signs given to us in Scripture. Spiritual road signs, whether you obey them or not, too. Uh, in fact, I need my Bible. Hold on just a second. All right. Now I got my tool. I'm ready to go. All right, so today we're going to use the U-turn sign. The U-turn sign. And if you think about it just a moment, a U-turn sign means that we're going to talk about what? You, can you think about it, what a U-turn might represent? Change of direction, okay. How about repentance? Good church word there. Everybody say repentance. And repentance means a change of direction. Pretty good. Thank you. You already gave me the definition. I can stop. All right. Repentance. So think for a moment how the U-turn illustrates repentance. 
you're going, your life is going in a particular way, and you realize that you're going the wrong direction, or you don't like where you are going, and you decide you need to turn around and go a different direction, head in the opposite direction. It's a great way to define repentance. In fact, uh, John the Baptist, as he was preparing the way for the Lord, preparing the way for Jesus, he called on people to do exactly that, repent. Luke 3.3 3 records John's road sign where he says that it, it says that he went into all the vicinity of Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So in, in, in Luke's description of what John is doing here, he is saying repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So we're getting an understanding that repentance is to take us away from something and that something is sin's influences or sin's place in our life. In Acts 2.38, after being asked by the people what they should do to receive forgiveness of sin after Peter's sermon, Peter responded, repent and be baptized, each one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So these are bookends to the gospel per se. One from before Christ, one after his ascension, and as the church began its ministry, and as it began to tell the gospel, that we are to preach a gospel to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of sins. We're charged to continue that message, baptism and repentance, trusting in Christ. And the U-turn serves as that spiritual road sign of sorts. So think with me about why we usually need to take a U-turn. Why do we usually need to take a U-turn? What is happening within the vehicle that might cause you to miss your turn or miss, the, miss your stop? I listed a couple of things, things that, that might distract us. The phone ringing in the car, right? Or talking on the phone and, and, or, you know, having a conversation on the phone or, or with the person in the car next to you and, and you're into a conversation and you just, you just space out. You, you forget where you are, where you were going. You might argue with yourself in the car. Now, don't laugh. Don't make fun of me. I made up this list and, uh, of things that could distract me. Well, you don't argue with yourself? Sure you do. That, that, you know, they say that what makes a person sane is when they talk to themselves. And I've been talking to myself a lot, and I tell you. Singing your favorite song can distract you and cause you to miss your turn, right? right? Anybody ever done that before? You're really into it, you know? You might get the lyrics wrong, but man, you're into that song. And then before you know it, you, you missed your turn. You can get distracted to the point where you missed your turn and you have to take a U-turn. You have to turn around to get back to that destination point. So we take a U-turn spiritually when we get distracted by something that takes our eyes off of Jesus. We can get distracted in life, spiritually speaking, when something distracts us to the point where we're thinking less about our destination about, about Jesus, about, what, about God's will in our life, something that takes our eyes off the Lord. That could be, well, it could be that you're arguing with him. You're debating with him about the things that are going on in life. You, 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 you're, you're, you're in a broken relationship with him. 
You're fighting with him about something. Or sometimes it's a sin issue. A sin that we're dealing with or a sin that we haven't dealt with. Or a sin that has become so habitual to us that it has distracted us. It takes up most of our time. There are other things that can take up the majority of our time. Things like career, work, family. You know, think about the schedule, especially if you have family with kids and all the things that that get put on the calendar that that can distract us. It doesn't have to be negative things. It can be things that, that, you know, ways you're trying to provide for your family or do as a family that can distract you. But but here's the thing. We, We get so busy in those things that we begin slacking in those disciplines that we forget to make part of our daily relationship with God. We slack in our prayers. We slack in being in his word. We, we slack in that the daily relationship with him. And maybe even to the point to where you have become so busy that, that you have begun to slack in your fellowship with the church. Hebrews 10.25 reminds us that there is encouragement in the faith that is to take place when we meet together. And, and who doesn't? feel like that, that they leave here prepared for spiritual battle when we gather together for, for worship or for study and for prayer and for fellowship. And in Hebrews 10.25, the author discourages us from getting out of the habit, out of the practice of meeting together because he understood the power that the fellowship of the church has in keeping us focused. So whichever the case, there are times when we get distracted spiritually, we miss our turn, we pass the Lord by, and we need to turn around and run back to him, which I believe is the best definition for the U-turn. Some may define it as a change of mind, but I believe that the Bible teaches that repentance deals with something more than what we think or believe. Repentance refers to to a change in behavior, a visual change in behavior, a noticeable change in who you are. When giving his testimony to King Agrippa in Acts 26, it's one of my favorite verses to remind me of what it is we are to emphasize as a church. And here's what Paul says that he preached faithfully. He says, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and prove their repentance by their deeds. We, we see a summary of Paul's teaching ministry in whatever town, in whatever country that he found himself in. And that is to repent and turn to God and to show our repentance by the way we live our lives. Coming to faith in Christ is evidence through a life of repentance, a life that shows that there's been a change of mind because there's been a change in behavior. It's noticeable. It's present. You can see it. Others can see it. So let's walk through a couple points to clarify what that means. Number one, repentance means turning from a statement of faith to a life of faith. It means turning from a statement of faith to a life of faith. In the Gospel of John chapter 3, we find Jesus 
in conversation with the Pharisee. And John is very quick to point out that this took place in the dead of night. That this Pharisee came in secret. Now, we believe, even though John doesn't tell us what his intentions were, we believe that this Pharisee did so because he feared the ramifications of being seen with Jesus. Because he was a Pharisee. As a Pharisee and as a teacher of the law, as a teacher of the law of Moses, he was interested in what he was hearing Jesus teaching. And he wanted a little bit more insight, but he didn't want those that he associated with to see him speaking to Jesus. One commentary reads this way. He says, Nicodemus was afraid or ashamed to be seen with Christ. Therefore, he came in the night. When a religion is out of fashion, there are many Nicodemites. I like that. Matthew Henry did a, did a great job when he came up with that term. Nicodemites. Think about that. How are we like Nicodemus? How are we like a Nicodemite? Well, like Nicodemus, we can know all the right stuff. We can know everything, the ABCs or the A to Z when it comes to our faith. We can know all that there is to know. But we don't want anyone else knowing that we know Jesus. Or there, we, we go to Jesus when no one else is looking. We keep our relationship with Jesus private to ourselves. In fact, we compartmentalize our faith, if that's what you want to, want to call it. We, we, we compartmentalize our faith from the rest of our life to the point where no one can even tell that we follow Jesus. Unless they see our car go somewhere on Sunday mornings. We put up a wall of separation, a dividing wall between the way we live and the way we claim to believe. And no one sees any sort of difference. What is our point here? Repentance means turning from a statement of faith. Repentance doesn't mean I have faith. Repentance doesn't mean that I have proclaimed. Repentance means that I am changing my current state in life to a life of faith. This is what Jesus said was missing in Nicodemus' life. It's in verse 3. I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God... Unless he is born again. No one can even see God's kingdom unless he is born again. And in a few moments, Jesus will even say to him, Are you not a teacher of the law? A teacher of Israel? And you don't know these things? See, sometimes you can know all the right things when it comes to the faith. But unless it changes your life, unless it leads you to the point of repentance, what you know doesn't matter. You can know all the right stuff, but until you take that spiritual U-turn in life, Scripture says there is something missing. The forgiveness of sins comes by what? Repentance and baptism and turning to Jesus Christ. Now, Paul described it this way in Romans 12. He said, do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So here we see that true faith is realized when the things we say we believe start affecting the way we live our lives. Any other type of faith 
is a counterfeit faith. It is no faith at all. And we need to stop lying to ourselves when we believe that we can barter with God and still have the things of this world and still live blankly in sin and receive the forgiveness of our sin. Isaiah 29, 13 says, These people draw near with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Counterfeit faith is easily recognizable in the Nicodemite, in the person who knows all that there is to know, but is yet to take that U-turn. Repent of their sin. So repentance should be seen as a moving from a statement of faith to a life of faith. And then secondly, this is the mental shift here. One from independence to dependence. Now have you ever taken the time to read through the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous? You know that they have a 12-step program, I'm sure. But have you ever taken the time to actually read through their 12 steps? Well, you can listen through. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God to ourselves and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscience contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the results of these steps, we tried to carry this message to other alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. There is something that's interwoven in those 12 steps. And it's God. It's a dependence on God. It is a need, a dependence to have God present. To have God affect the behavior. To have God empower us. Forgive us but empower us to overcome it. When we practice repentance, we're declaring who we are dependent on because none of us, not one of us, can overcome, can successfully repent, can successfully take that spiritual U-turn and run away from that sin or from that distraction without the power of God in our lives. And Romans 3.23 tells us why. And it's because we have all fallen short. We've fallen short. There is no way that we can attain to the full measure of God without the power of God in our lives. Because of that fallen nature inherent in each of us, 
We can't be independent in our faith. Well, I know what I'm supposed to believe. Okay, it's, it's great that you know. But who are you depending on? When we, when we start living independently from God to the extreme where we're making allowances for that which we struggle with daily, we've begun a journey that seemingly deafens us from hearing and experiencing the power of God in our day-to-day life. Here's what uh, uh, the Proverbs 1 says. It says, I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded because you have ignored all my counsel. When distress and anguish come upon you, then you will call upon me, but I will not answer. You will seek me diligently, but you will not find me. And this is ultimately where we'll end up when we've declared independence from God. When he is not allowed to be interwoven into our story. When we refuse the counsel of his word in the decisions that we make, in the lifestyles that we promote and live out, in the values we live by. Inevitably, when we say to God enough, I don't need you to tell me how to live. We've declared our independence from him and we have closed him out. We've shut him out. We've passed him by. And we find ourselves driving around like the end of verse of Proverbs one twenty eight says, they will seek me but they will not find me. Making a U-turn means you've realized the independence from God you've been fighting for isn't worth its cost. Daryl Burling writes, he says, the main reason we struggle with repentance is that we enjoy our sin. It can be fun when you're in it. Sin can be fun when you're in it. When you're in the middle of it. We love it, he says, because it gives some sort of small reward. But it is a fishing hook. The hook is the reward, the pleasure, praise, perception of power that keeps us coming back for more. But the problem is that the consequences of sin far outweigh the reward it gives. That hook has a long line attached to it. And when it reels us in, we suddenly find ourselves at a literal dead end. We can't repent while we're holding on to and treasuring the rewards of sin. To repent, we need to recognize that the reward of sin is short-term, hollow, and will only distract us from the life that God wants to give. In other words, we'll drive right past it, seeking that fulfillment, seeking that life, totally independent and without God's place in it. And we'll keep driving and we'll keep searching, and we'll keep coming up empty. There, com- but there comes a time when we need to realize that we've left God behind in our lives, and we need to take that spiritual U-turn. And like those in this 12-step program, and here's point number three, we need to make the decision to turn our will and our lives over to the Holy Spirit to empower. I'm afraid if you don't, You might just find yourself with a different sort of road sign in front of you. One that reads, dead end. But God has provided a way, a means, 
And in a lot of times, the way that we answer what that, that means is, we will say it's Jesus. But I'm going to tell you right now that, that that is not the answer for this problem. Now, I'm speaking directly to those of you that have come to faith in Christ. Because here's the thing. Jesus did not come so that you would be able to repent. Jesus died to shed precious spotless blood so that your sins can be atoned for and to give you a Holy Spirit that will empower you to repent. And in a lot of times, churches leave that last part out. Pastors, preachers, teachers have left that last part out. We tend to say, Jesus is the answer for everything. And let me tell you, most times, yes, Jesus is the answer. But when it comes to repentance, we need the empowerment that only comes through the indwelling Holy Spirit. And a reliance on that power to overcome, to redirect us, to strengthen us, to fill us. The ability to take U-turns comes when you've given your life over to the Holy Spirit to do His work. His enabling work. Now here's something important to keep in mind too. Repentance isn't just something you did when you walked an aisle. It's learning to deny yourself each and every day. Repentance is a Christian discipline that we have to exercise daily to turn away from, to run away from, to learn to give God more from one day to the next. In each and every area as a as a person, as a parent, as a spouse, in our careers, in our calendars, from our checkbooks, as a neighbor, as a friend, as an ambassador of Christ. It is a daily practice of the believer, of the follower of Christ. Repentance is about learning to deny yourself and take up what Jesus said is your cross to follow him. He didn't say Deny yourself and take up my cross. He said, no, what you must sacrifice, what you must give up. This is what Matthew 16, 24 says. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. Now, that's the total opposite from what we teach or what we hear taught in culture. You have to go and find yourself. You have to go and discover who you are. Jesus says, no, you have to deny yourself. You need to discover who I am. This is the ultimate U-turn. Denying self changing direction, taking up our cross, what we must sacrifice. And here's, the, here's an issue is, is that we don't teach a lot of personal sacrifice. We just say, well, you know, I just got to sleep. I got to sleep in. Well, I, I just don't have time to be in scripture or I don't have time to give for that ministry. I have too much going on. Where is the personal sacrifice in that? It's the excuses and the allowances. 
deny yourself, take up your cross, what you must sacrifice, and follow me. As I quoted earlier in Acts 2.38, Peter declared to some of the first Christian converts, he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the empowerment, the reliance that we have on the Holy Spirit in our lives, Jesus called, it our, uh, called him our counselor. But we also see through the acts of the apostles where it was, he was the one, why do I keep doing that? He was the one to guide them to where God needed them to be to be the ambassador, to be the witness, to use their gifts, their talents, their resources in order to reveal God in their life. It starts by moving from a statement of faith to a life of one. From acting dependently, behaving dependently, relying dependently on God. And by realizing that our, it is our daily effort to live in repentance. So perhaps this is something you've never heard explained before or something you've been wrestling with. As Jesus told Nicodemus, no one will see the kingdom of God unless they repent. Is that what God has been saying to you recently? Is that how he has been challenging you? As you've been struggling, maybe with that issue, with that habit. Or maybe as you've been struggling with Jesus himself. It's time to do a 180. A spiritual U-turn. And to run where God would have you to be. That's in his arms. Let's pray. Father, 